Welcome to The Rebuilders. I'm Sarah and with my co-host Anna, we're on a mission to discover what it takes to rebuild something that isn't working. From businesses to lifestyles to relationships, each week we interview someone who's dug deep to turn around an aspect of their life or work, which is something most of us can relate to in some way during this unpredictable year. You're about to hear a personal story packed with great lessons and insights ready to apply to your own life or business. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe as we have a new and amazing story every week. This week, I'm talking to Nancy Reyes, president of creative agency TBWA Chiat Day, New York. Nancy is an industry veteran with over 20 years experience. She's worked at some of the world's leading advertising agencies, including over a decade at Goodby Silverstein and Partners before TBWA, as well as working client side as VP of Marketing Creative at Verizon. Nancy's story is one that is particularly close to my heart. She's a fellow agency CEO who joined TBWA in 2016 as part of a turnaround team. During that period, the office has gone from hard times to being Adweek's Global Agency of the Year and one of Fast Company's most innovative companies. Nancy is whip smart, hugely warm, and an absolute no BS leader that I personally have sought advice from during my own journey with TBWA. In our chat, she openly shares the struggle and the joy of rebuilding a creative business, starting at the very beginning. What a famous agency with a ton of equity, a terrific brand name, a place where clients and talent wanted to work and be a part of. And yes, it had fallen on some hard times. And so maybe in the beginning of this journey, there was just a question as to how far the agency could go. Where was its future? Where would it go next? How would it pick up some of what it had been famous for? How would it double down on that equity, but also branch into new places and new territories and new thinking in ways that it hadn't before? The good news is that even before I started, Rob Schwartz had a lot to do with the agency's comeback and the agency's turnaround. When he arrived at the agency at this point, maybe five and a half years ago, he had one single vision for the agency. He told everyone, you know what, what we need right now more than anything is momentum. Go out there and win it. I don't care what it is, just go win. And it worked. By the time I had arrived at the agency, the agency had already won, I believe it was nine pitches in a row. So there was already the rumblings, that wonderful noise and energy that happens at a place where things are just, they're bubbling. Things are popping up. They're beginning to happen. There was already a sense of confidence and a realization that this was possible, that this comeback, that this journey was actually possible. So then it really became an art of tightening it up and directing it and steering it and leaning into the people that were pushing this turnaround forward as much as humanly possible. While we had won nine pitches in a row, could we focus our next nine wins on even bigger brands, even better brands, brands that really wanted to take risks, brands that wanted to be disrupted? One very important moment in the journey of the agency, maybe it was about a year in. And while I've presented this very positive momentum of the agency, of course, it was still plagued by a little bit of its most recent history and what it had gone through. And I found that I spent 
quite a bit of time just really understanding what was going on at the agency. Where were the problem areas? It was a junior strategist. Maybe he was one or two years in. And I took him out to lunch and I said, hey, what do you think I should focus on? What do you think I could do better at the company? And he gave me one of the best pieces of advice I have ever received. He said to me, can you start to focus and put more of your energy on the people who have the same values as you do and who believe that the agency can move forward versus the people who don't believe that because you will grow faster. We will grow faster. The company will move faster if you double down on the positive versus spend all the time on the negative. That is fascinating for me because it touches on something about why we started this podcast, which is when people start from a blank slate, say take a startup, you're just building forwards. Whereas when you're rebuilding a business or a relationship, you're starting from something that isn't quite working. And I'm fascinated to hear you talk a little bit more about that because one school of thought says you need to be honest about the problems, you need to diagnose them, you need to work on them, you need to kind of exercise those demons. And on the other side, there is also the sense that you need to look ahead, build on the positivity and build that momentum. How do you and did you balance those two things? And when is it time to just look forwards? That's an excellent observation, because I do think you're right. It's important to diagnose and analyze and give some airtime to what those complaints, grievances, negatives, issues are with any kind of company. I suppose that maybe instead of spending 70% of my time on that, I could probably have diagnosed it sooner. I could have said, you know what, I'm hearing the same thing over and over again. Okay, I see it. This is what I believe we can do about it. It's really about spending less time admiring the problem and more time addressing it and moving forward. I think that's the rub. That's where we can go wrong with it. Because the truth is that if you spend so much time on the negative side, you'll never fix it. You've got to find the pieces of positivity that exists within an organization. The people who are ready to jump on the train today, if you double down there, and spend more time there, chances are we will recruit more people from the same company faster than if we spend all our time on the negative side. That's the biggest lesson I learned. And I think once that energy went there, the progress moved even faster. Talk to me about the momentum piece, because I was a strategist for years and years, Mrs. Logical, Mrs. Linear. But actually, we've heard quite a lot from people doing these interviews that actually just putting one foot in front of the other, almost regardless of direction, is a great first thing to start doing. So if you're an individual or if you're a business, just getting moving and moving forwards rather than be really academic and really rigid about the direction. So what role did momentum play versus having a really clear strategic direction for how that business was going to be rebuilt? I would say momentum was at least 50% of it. I'll give you another example. I think the agency took yet another massive, massive step forward when our chief creative officer, Chris Beresford Hill, joined. I would say now it's almost three years ago. When he came in, he asked a very simple question, which was, what are the briefs that we need to work on? What are clients asking us to do? What we realized at that point is that we had been spending quite a bit of time almost challenging the briefs as they came in, really questioning them, really pushing back on them, actually creating our own set of obstacles to momentum. 
And his point of view was, no, 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 we need to listen. We need to lean in. What happens when we accept the briefs? What if we just opened ourselves up and said, these are brilliant clients who know their business way better than we do. Who are we to challenge what's on this piece of paper? Just fully open ourselves up, receive the brief and move on it. Again, once that happened, that was really the creative turning point of the company. After that, I think maybe 15 or 16 great pieces of creative went out the door. They were always creativity editors' picks of the week. Again, it was just the belief and the openness to the acceptance of it. Whatever form it took, we can do something great with it. That belief drove a ton of momentum and drove us forward. And in fact, today, if we think about, wow, this one project really feels like it's been stuck. We've been talking about this one project in this stage for quite some time. Chances are we have been putting up the obstacles ourselves and we have not fully opened ourselves up to just accept what's on that brief. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that the creative work that comes off the back end won't actually challenge what was in that brief, but there is something psychologically about acceptance and opening ourselves up to something that just lets a whole lot of creativity come out. That could also be a personal mantra, couldn't it? It's not just relevant for business, but it's totally relevant for people as well. Going back a little bit then, you come into the business, Rob's been making this incredible headway and you join as part of this team. What were the biggest challenges that you were facing? There's so many areas within a business. There's finance, there's operations, there's a culture, there's the team. What were the things which were most important to address to keep unlocking that momentum? I think the biggest thing really was two parts, and they both have to do with talent. There was an incredible amount of amazing talent at the company who needed to be supported, who needed to be cared for, who needed to be looked after, who needed the help in order to succeed. And they needed to just continue to believe that it was possible, that advancement was possible, that we were able to get out of this tough position we were in to move ourselves forward. And the second part was just to be able to infuse the agency with new talent, different kinds of thinking. And again, not that there was anything wrong with the people that were there, but sometimes just bringing in new groups of people would make a difference because it would allow people to feel a sense of camaraderie, a sense of momentum, a sense that we're building something new and different and not trying to stay within where we are now or the past. I would say that while momentum unlocked a lot of stuff, I would be missing a big point if I didn't say that you have to keep driving and fueling the momentum. You have to keep finding it. One bad blow, one bad loss can knock you down quite a bit. And so to pick yourself back up and start the conversation again about momentum, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of passion. It takes a lot of drive. The point about setbacks is really interesting. I've been at TBWA as part of an amazing team for the last three years and running any business is not a straight road as 2020 has demonstrated to everyone. How do you keep going when there are setbacks, both as an individual and also as a culture? How do you collectively keep on getting up and going again? I think it's one of the hardest things to do. And we had quite a setback About a year ago, I think it was last summer, we lost a very big client, probably one of our largest clients at the agency. It was Accenture. I think we had predicted that they would go in-house to their agency, and they did. We knew it would happen, but it didn't mean that it was easy to handle the news. And more than anything, it was really hard to lay people off. We had to make some cuts because of the size of Accenture. 
in that particular example, I think we had no choice but to move forward for the sake of the people that were still at the company. Moreover, for the people that we had to lay off, I think we would have been really disappointed in ourselves if we had just sort of sat in that moment, sat in our regret and our discomfort with the whole thing. If anything, I would say that was another turning point for the agency because it helped us understand, well, what makes us great? What are we going to do about this? What do we do now, right? What do we lean into? We probably became more of who we are after that loss, oddly. You think, oh my gosh, I lost a piece of myself. We lost a piece of our agency because people left and that is a hole that we'll never be able to fill. But I think that was a moment of very deep reflection for us and a really good understanding of what do we value? When are we great? When are we not great? And how do we keep focused on when we're great? So I do think that if we can look at those moments, those setbacks properly, we actually find out more about who we are than without them. How do you navigate those moments of reflection and awareness? Because people talk a lot about self-awareness. And what I'm sort of hearing here is an amazing sense of team and company awareness. What's the process that you go through to come to those realizations? Do you get the team together? Do you do away days? Or is it more of a gradual thing? It's probably a bit of both. Some individual reflection and some team reflection. I do think a lot of what has contributed to the agency bouncing back and continuing through to a more successful place is team. There's no other way around it. You talk about your incredible team over the past three years in London. I would say we have an incredible team in New York. And in that great team is a sense of honesty and maybe more than anything, vulnerability, that ability to be able to say like, I'm scared. God, that really sucked. How will we talk to people about it? What could we have done better? I totally effed up. I wish that I hadn't done this. That space has to be there because I don't think we would have been able to move ahead if we hadn't reflected deep in there and been able to just be honest with one another and ourselves and eventually the agency. They've seen me cry over things that have upset me. They've seen me celebrate. I think that vulnerability, that sense of transparency, I just believe the more open you are with your leadership team and with your company, the bigger the following you have because you've exposed a piece of yourself that people can really connect with and rally behind. I've always known you as a real all-in leader. You wear your heart on your sleeve. You're highly communicative. What have you learned about yourself as a leader during the years that you've been at Chaya? You're right. I am all in. I am super intense. I know this about myself, and you've probably heard me talk about it before, Sarah, and I'm still working on it, which is that when I allow myself to be myself, I make more progress. And I think therefore we make more progress. So that means going ahead and not being tough Nancy and screw that, we're going to do this instead. There's a time and a place, right, to be fully focused and have that kind of relentless spirit that is so goal oriented. I can be so laser focused that I will get something done. But equally, of course, I'm a human being. So there are moments that just throw me back that stopped me in my tracks and exposing that, allowing that to be real and to be open to people, I think just shows a more human side. I'm no superhero, just like no one else is a superhero. We're all just trying to put one foot in front of the other. We're all just trying to succeed. I've seen myself personally grow the most 
when I let myself go and I let myself be open. But it is a struggle to be that way because I also have to show confidence and determination and a major amount of focus because business is not easy, as you know. I've heard lots of people talk about patience and patience as being a critical virtue for dealing with things not going 100% the way you maybe have planned or as a business dealing with setbacks. I know you as quite a pace-setting, energetic leader. How's your patience? And is it something that you have to exercise when you're dealing with things like COVID that come in and set things on a standstill? Yeah, I don't have patience. (laughs) (laughs) I have... I have none of that. You're a mom. You must have patience, Nancy. (laughs) I have none of that. Maybe one way I look at it is I take a big, hairy problem and chop it up into a bunch of little pieces so that there's always progress happening. Because I think that if I allowed myself to try and wait for it to happen or to be patient with it, I would struggle. I think the only way if someone said, this thing is going to take time, my answer back would be, I'm sure it is, but what can we do today? There's got to be something that happens today. And I think you sort of mentioned this in the beginning around momentum. It is important because just make a decision and then make another one and then make another one and then make another one. And you may make bad ones along the way. Certainly we wouldn't be in this position if we couldn't trust our own instincts on decisions. But I find that if you sit still and you wait, that's the worst thing that you can do versus just move forward in any way you can. I talked to Jason Gonzalez, brand director for The Face magazine, about restarting that magazine. And he talked about wresting control back from the universe in any form, just taking a decision for yourself or your business. You feel automatically more in control. I agree. And Then the other thing is, if you've made a wrong decision, quickly make the right decision or another decision on top of that and communicate about it. I do think that so long as the decisions are informed decisions, people will be more supportive of a leader and an organization if there is movement of any kind. COVID is a great example of big, difficult challenges. The social unrest in the U.S. is a major, major issue at the moment. Are we going to sit still and say, let's see what happens. This is going to take time. It's going to take 100 years for things to change. Or are we going to look at it and say, There's probably 20 things that we can do between now and the end of the year. Let's go. Let's get started. Let's do something. Otherwise, sitting still makes people super anxious and it makes us feel helpless more than anything else. I think we're all experiencing at the minute, if people lead a small business or a team, that everyone in that team is a human being and everyone's affected by what's going on outside the window and on the news. How are you supporting your team through this time? Yeah, this has probably been one of the most challenging moments for us, as I imagine it is for any business right now. And there's two reasons in the U.S. One, of course, is COVID and remote working and the mental health toll that it takes. And so many of our people doing more work than they've ever done before, just given the challenges of the economy. And then the second thing, which I referenced earlier, is the social unrest. There's some significant racial injustice issues that are happening in New York and in the U.S. And it would be really tone deaf to not acknowledge those and acknowledge our own, my own feelings and mental anxiety and emotional anxiety over these issues. So the first thing to do is to just talk about all of it 
talk about it. We've addressed the company a number of times on both of these topics. We have tried to be as transparent and communicative as possible regarding when we might go back to the office, how we would go back to the office, relieving people of any anxiety of having to go back if they actually don't want to, or if they've relocated to a different location. Those are really important. We've spent a lot of time and energy, a lot of our employees have building a diversity, equity, and inclusion program that is very robust, that is very inclusive, that has listening circles so that people can express how they're feeling. We can hear from one another how we're feeling. We can offer words and thoughts of comfort to one another about how we're feeling, be it if you are Black, if you're a person of color in the U.S., if you're a working parent in the U.S. trying to teach your children while you're working during a time of COVID. You mentioned a little bit there diversity, inclusion and belonging and the landscape of some really horrific racial injustices all over the world, the US, the UK this year. You yourself are a person of colour, you're the child of immigrant parents, which you've spoken a lot about before. In many ways, you sort of had a rebuild in your own life, I guess. I've heard you talk brilliantly about how you were supported by the affirmative action to go to private school via the prep for prep scheme. How has that resilience and that kind of personal rebuild, how does that show up in your approach to being a leader? It's so much of who I am that I have a hard time kind of seeing how it plays out in certain ways versus if I hadn't done it. I do think that's where I get my whole earn it philosophy from, because when you are an immigrant, when you're a child of an immigrant, earning your place, earning your wage, earning your citizenship is critically important. And of course, what I have realized about even myself is that I grew up in a time when the key to success was assimilation if you were a child of an immigrant. So try to blend in as much as possible and don't stand out. And yet today's world is all about bring your full self to work, which is literally the opposite of what I was taught was success as a person. So I'm even discovering how to let my full self out and what have I compromised in my climb up the corporate ladder, in my rise to success in America? How much of myself have I left behind? I've been on quite a journey, especially given all of the unrest in the US on my own personal self. I suppose the way that it comes out is I just talk about it a lot more than I used to. I don't think I did in the past tell my story talk about where I came from, talk about how I grew up or how I succeeded, or even share that I'm having this challenge right now of, have I blended in too much? Have I lost any part of myself? How are you going about that journey? Is it something that you are actively working on? Or is it something that's emerging as you go through this year with the company? Well, I think it's interesting because the journey started on diversity, equity, inclusion shortly after George Floyd's death, as I'm sure it did for many companies, at least here in the U.S. And the big push, I think, to the point we were making earlier is, my goodness, how are we going to solve racial inequality in this country? What a big impossible problem. Well, the only way we're going to do it is we're going to take one step at a time and chop this issue up into a lot of pieces and do things that we can do and we can control. So we provided momentum. Lots of people signed up. They volunteered. We built work streams. We have done so much in this space. And I'm so proud of our employees for their ideas, their passion, their dedication, the momentum that they've brought to this. But I suppose for me personally, one of the most valuable things that we have is we have a forum every Thursday at 11 in the morning where we get together as we call it the DE&I volunteer team. It's about 100 people. 
where we talk about the progress, we talk about the obstacles, but it's also become a, a space for people to share how they feel. I have certainly lost control of my own emotions in those settings a number of times, lamenting about what's happening to people of color in this country and how difficult it is and everything that's going on with COVID and working parents and the fear and anxiety that even my own children have during this time. I'm still going through it. So much of what you've said is going to chime with people this year. We started off talking about a business journey, but inevitably, business and personal journeys are so wound up together for everyone right now. What advice do you have for people who are facing either of those things at the moment, who have a business perhaps that's been put on ice during COVID or has faced difficulties, who are looking to rebuild it and doing so in this quite tiring environment? I think that I would say, while I am more often than not a businesswoman first, I would say we only have one life. We don't have a personal life and a business life. It's the same life. <laughs> so there's no way to separate those. And in fact, I think people would like to see less separation of those two things in order to really connect with leaders. The second thing I would say is this does feel impossible. Even as I look at New York and all of the success that we have and all of the progress that we've made, it's going to be challenging moving forward. Of course, it's going to be challenging for all of us. We have to look at these big, impossible problems, and we have to chop them up into pieces. That is my biggest advice. Do not look at this entire thing. Do not think, how do I get from here to where I want to be 10 years from now? I would say, how do I get from here to tomorrow? Literally, what can I do today? And then what can I do tomorrow? And then what can I do the next day and the next day and the next day? I love a list. I love to check things off a list. <laughs> Who doesn't love a list? <laughs> just a major sense of accomplishment to just check things off. And I think there's some really healthy application to where we stand now. Of course, the things you check off that list are bigger than did I make this call or did I make that call? But I do think with any big problem, it is about a step-by-step, -step, one foot in front of the other kind of progress. Otherwise, we can become incredibly overwhelmed and paralyzed by the bigness of the problem of the challenge itself. It's also a really interesting way to think about business strategy. It's not a big, clear, linear plan. We used to plan five years out and then it's a year out. And I think now planning quarter to quarter, month to month is a reasonable thing to be doing. It is. And you can always have your sight on where you might want to go in five years. I just think that if you stay there, you may not know where to start. Because I don't know that when I came to New York, I said I wanted to be this big of a company with this many awards. And I don't think I said that. I think the thing I said is, okay, so tomorrow we win this client. And then the next day we try for this client. And then we try to make the work better. And then we'll bring in people who want to work on that. And then they'll bring in more people and the work will get better. One thing will inevitably lead to another. And if you go off course a little bit, you just course correct it with another decision that gets you back on the right path. But not doing anything is just a major sin. A major sin. <laughs> and so what does a vision look like for you in 2020? I think at the heart of that will always be that exercise that we did when we struggled, which is who are we when we are great? And who are we when we're not great? Or what's missing when we're not great? I bet anything, betting woman, which I am, will spend a lot of time doubling down on what makes us great, doing that more often than not. And that will lead to even more opportunities, even more growth in an exponential way. 
That's such a good way of thinking about it. We've talked to people who've said similar things about their careers. We talked to Faris Yakov and he talked about rebuilding his life around what makes him happy and making a list of what does make you happy, what doesn't make you happy and adjust accordingly. And it's the same sort of thing. What makes you guys great as a business and always taking those steps to adjust towards that. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that we won't invent new services or innovate or bring new things in. But sometimes I find that if you try to innovate, um, there is no seed of that inside the company to begin with. Chances are it will be quite difficult to do that. But if you start from the place that you're great and say, well, what else can I do with this skill? What else can I do with this talent? Where else are these values applicable? That probably will carve a path of more successful ventures, of more successful innovations, of more successful growth. What do you think has been the biggest learning for you during the rebuilding of Chaya? I have to give credit to that young strategist. I really do. I often go back to that double down on the people that share the values, that understand the vision of where the company is going, double down on the positive and do not drain yourself with the negative because you will never fill that up. But spending all of that time on the positive side will reap rewards that you wouldn't have ever dreamed of. You've been listening to The Rebuilders, hosted by me, Sarah Tate, in conversation with Nancy Rays, president of TBWA Chiat Day, New York. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to share it and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Join us again next Wednesday for a new episode of The Rebuilders with Lucy Rocker. Lucy rebuilt her own life after giving up alcohol and founded the sober community Soberistas to help others do the same.